Wish I didn't have to know what I thought I needed to know. Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. Today I have a really special guest on the podcast. It's my good friend Dave Yoon. Dave, welcome to the pod. Hey man, it's great to be here, man. I've been listening to your podcast now and dude, I'm super proud you're you broke a hundred. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's crazy. It's pretty fun. It's uh crazy. We're like well on our way to uh 150, hopefully 200. I think this will be episode 124. Um so yeah, it's a really exciting time um to be able to pump out these podcasts even though we're stuck in the middle of this crazy quarantine/COVID-19 stuff. Uh I'm losing the track of time. Um I posted a pretty funny Instagram story of me uh, having the patchiest looking soul patch slash beard. Um, It was not looking that great. But um, yeah, Dave, I'm just glad that I can have you on the podcast and we can finally talk about like some of the things that we wanted to talk about, um, especially like your music career. So um, this has been a long time coming. Uh, Dave's one of my best friends in the whole wide world um so i was really excited and i thought this was like the perfect time especially with a lot of people at home not really doing too much to be able to listen to something that's a little bit more different in comparison to the usual podcast that i have about sports so this is mostly going to be about music so dave um thanks for coming on man thanks for having me man i didn't think that i would ever actually have a spot because you know you 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 generally talk about sports and stuff and i love listening to that so i was like i don't think i'll ever (laughs) i'll ever get a a feature on this but you know you made made some room pulled some strings and so i'm glad to be here man yeah and if you guys don't know we actually the my obsessions with podcasts actually started with this guy right here uh we actually had now RIP, I guess. Rest in peace to Mama. We made it. Uh, we had a we had a podcast together while I was down in D.C. and that was more about like lifestyle, mostly about our like dating lives and like what we thought about love and stuff like that. Early twenties Asian guys in D.C. Um, how we kind of like went through life, um, and it was kind of an interesting podcast to kind of do. So. Um, that was where both of our obsessions kind of started out of boredom, I guess. <laughs> so um, we're really excited to do that ty- type of podcast. But um, yeah, this podcast, I really wanted to focus on uh, some of the experiences that Dave went through as an artist and as a musician because um, he's had a really interesting path. Um, I think a lot of people that are kind of in our circle know um, some of the things and some of the highlights to um, your music career. But I think it's really interesting to, and especially with me being by your side for a lot of it, um, and as one of your close friends, it's really kind of cool to see uh, the, the different hills and valleys of what you went through. For sure, yeah, lots of hills. Uh, way more valleys, unfortunately, but you know, you've been there for the whole thing and you know this story, but I'm happy to share, man. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, dude. So let's, let's honestly start at the beginning because I think one of the things that is really fascinating to me, um, 
is this idea of whether or not you know you were good at singing from like an early age. Because I think there's this always there's always this kind of debate in terms of whether or not musical talent or singing talent is inherently a god like a god-given gift or is it something that you can work on so was there like a moment that you realized that oh shoot i'm pretty good at this singing thing so here's the thing you know like when you watch tori kelly's earliest performances when she's on stage 13 year olds and she's like ripping all these solos and these ad-libs there's also like video of like other performers like mariah carey doing like those crazy runs I didn't have that, you know, like I didn't grow up saying like or having the affirmation from another person, even my parents being like, hey, this is something you're actually kind of good at. You know, it was more so like, hey, man, you're Asian. You ought to follow like the doctor lawyer path because singing just ain't it for you. You know, like not a lot of people, including myself, didn't think that music would ever be, you know, something that I would be passionate about now. Right, right. And I. I think that's a really interesting kind of distinction there because especially with a lot of like the way we grow up in Asian culture, whenever something, you know, we, I think parents want us to go pursue the arts, like, oh, go play an instrument like piano or violin, but just don't get too good where you actually think you can make a living off of it. (laughs) Right. And just kind of like, it's, it's one of those extracurriculars you can add to your college resume so you can get into a better college. So you can be that lawyer, doctor, um, scientist, engineer, or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, like, kind of, balance that I think a lot of Korean Asian parents put pressure on their kids right and for you I mean because you're Asian too let me let me let me try to guess the instrument your parents had you play was it piano or like clarinet was it one of those kind of things yep both of it them. was piano I was terrible <laughs> I was terrible at both of them yep. see that's the thing uh, man like Asian parents want you to do music but their their like realm of music is just like in piano violin and just like the you know like those instruments yeah. Well, I have this funny story that I always wanted to play the saxophone, and I distinctly remember in third grade I wanted to play the sax saxophone so bad because it sounded like saxophone, so I I wanted to play it. <laughs> um, so I really wanted to play the saxophone really bad, and my mom was like, "No, you're playing the clarinet," and I was like, "No, I want to play the saxophone." And you know what I ended up playing? I played the clarinet. Did so you kind of see what <laughs> what ended up happening there. Um, but Dave, were there like any instruments that you ended up playing growing up um, that you kind of took a liking to and like how you developed that type of music talent um, in conjunction with singing in general? So nothing in conjunction with singing, I would say, but I did grow up playing the piano. I played until I was in the eighth grade. I started in like the third grade, so I was pretty decent at it. If you ask me to mm-hmm. play a song right now, I can't. There's no way. <laughs> I can play the scale pretty well. But other than that, speaking of saxophone, saxophone is something that I started in fourth grade and I played all the way up until eighth grade. So I played the wow. alto, tenor, and the baritone sax. Dude, I wanted to play the alto Dude, sax. Dude, the so alto, is, that's a sexy instrument, man, and for sure. And like, it took a lot of convincing from my mom. My mom was like, hey, you're already playing piano. You already. Like you're you're playing the the vital Asian instrument. You don't need to play the saxophone. I was like, no, man, I want to play the saxophone. And so I, you know, I started with the alto, and that's kind of how that career went off. Yeah, played in well, the jazz band too. It was fun. W- 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting, kind of like that holistic idea of like just getting into music and what those influences were like. So as a kid, like were there was there music that you were interested in in terms of like specific music that you listened to or you had musical influences growing up within I think those formative years at least start at least for me starting in like sixth seventh eighth grade in middle school um a lot of times what ended up happening was oh that kid that's popular hat like has this type of music taste and I want to like be friends with him so like this is the type of music that I'm gonna have but was there a specific type of uh music that you ended up liking um growing up dude i was a weird kid but uh when i first started playing sax in the fourth grade i was really into smooth jazz like i loved smooth jazz for some reason i was like and you still like it today yeah too. dude i was like i love this elevator music you know my parents would just have it playing sometimes in the deli and i'd be like what is that dude like that sounds awesome and i think that's what got me playing sax in the beginning and then later right. on in high school remember we were growing up in like the punk rock era and so everyone yep. was playing the PR or the guitar you know, everyone's a like, lot of green. I feel like a lot of green day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when I picked up the guitar because I was like, dude, this is how people are getting chicks. Like, I, I got I to gotta <laughs> stand out, man. I like I wasn't like, you know, growing up definitely like was not like the most attractive kid. I was like super fat. So I was like, dude, I got to do something. I got I to gotta level the playing field a little bit. So that's when I picked up guitar, um, probably like beginning of high school around that. OK. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that next because I think that's what I've seen you play the most um, instrument-wise. So I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen you play the piano, but I've seen you play your guitar uh, a decent amount uh, in college and stuff like that. So besides like instruments, how did you, how did you start singing? Because I think that's like another part of this whole, like your whole part of your music career and how um, obviously we'll get later into the podcast in terms of like where your voice took you, but how did you end up getting like into singing and like, how did you know that you were good right away? Like, did you just start singing in the shower? And oh, absolutely were, not, man. Um, okay. A funny story. When I first started like singing, singing, um, my pastor told me like, he like looked back. So the, f the story is. Like, we all have to sing. You've been on a missions trip before, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So we went on a missions trip. trip over to Guadalajara, Mexico, and we were doing VBS for the kids, right? And so they, all of us there, we were all in high school at the time. We had to learn these songs in Spanish, right? And you know the song, like, yes, Jesus loves me, right? So yeah, we had yeah, to learn yeah. that in <laughs> Spanish, right? So, like, uh -huh. I started singing this and, like, try to interact with the kids there. And then my pastor pulls me aside after and he was like, dude, who taught you how to sing? And I was like, oh, my goodness, is this a compliment? And he was like, man, we should, like, put you in the back a little bit. And he was joking. But, like, I knew <laughs> oh, no. at that time that, like, I singing was just not something that I grew up doing. Um, so I didn't have any notion of, like, I, I knew listening, like, what a good singer is supposed to sound like. Right, but I, right. I, I, yeah. in, in terms of, like, comparison, I, I knew I wasn't anywhere near that. Um, so mm. singing and like thinking that I'm good, that just, you know, even today is so something that I like still like think about and struggle with. Right. You know? And what were like, did, were there like specific artists that you listened to that you're like, oh, that's a really good singer or that's someone that like I looked, looked up to and like was like, oh, I want to take something from their singing 
Um, and like, w- was there anyone like that? Yeah, you may not know him because he's super obscure, but Brian McKnight. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy. Brian McKnight, uh, boys to men, uh, just Mariah Carey, so, dude. Like a lot of like, R&B. Oh my goodness, soul yeah, man. Those R&B soul singers always got to me. Like not not because of their technique, but I I just felt every word they were singing, and even to this day, like you and I both love R and B, and it's just like yeah, oh yeah. my goodness, like the way these people sing is just otherworldly, and so no, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And I think it's really interesting how um, some of those roots kind of come out, especially during like. Uh, your your songwriting process right now and t- the type of music that you're interested in now and how early those roots take place. But one of the things that I actually remember talking to you back, uh, t- talking to you about a while ago in terms of like how you got recognized um, to like join the choir and st- uh, stuff like that and join chorus in high school, I believe. There's like a little funny origin story to that, and I found that really funny and hilarious. Uh, what like what was that story that ended up happening that like uh, got you to like join chorus? Because especially like like in my high school, I went to an all boys school, so like chorus wasn't one of the things that a lot of the guys were just like raring to join. Um, and I'm not sure if that was like what that culture was like in high school in terms of like was course the cool thing to do um but i found it really funny the story that you're you're uh telling me a oh while boy back. Well, he, well here we go uh chorus and bands definitely were not probably not like the top like the coolest things anyone could really do in high school uh those formative years where you're trying to think you're cool or whatever but Freshman year, the elective that I chose was actually woodwork. Did you do woodwork? No, uh, I didn't do woodwork. Man, I built I built me a mean little stool <laughs> in freshman <laughs> year, man. That's like what I thought was like cool. And, you know, I had a couple friends that were in chorus, um, but I myself was not in it. I didn't really sing at all. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened, sophomore year had passed and junior year came around. And that's the year that... I'm sure your high school was like this, but every year in high school, the chorus and the band get together and they travel somewhere, right? They go like on a, a trip. a band yeah. trip, yeah. And this year, they were going to Florida. So I was like, oh, <laughs> hell yeah, I want to go to Florida. They're going to Disney World. Like, this sounds awesome, man. Is it, wait, is it Disney World or Disneyland? I keep getting confused. Which... In Florida, it's Disney World. Okay. Disneyland's out in Cali. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Thanks. Uh, so Disney World, and, you know, they're having a competition there, but I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, I definitely want to be a part of that. And so end of sophomore year, my friend at that time, you know him, Kevin Wang. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Kevin, Kevin yeah. was part of Chorus. And so he had asked me to play guitar for him because he knew that I played guitar um, and okay. to sing with him at, like, the finals. And Got it. I don't know if he remembers this, but, you know, we had practiced so much, and I had liked the the song that he chose to sing um, I forget what it is now, but it's like an alt rock kind of song, acoustic version. And so like he was singing and then he kind of fumbled up the words and I was playing the guitar next to him. And like, oh, he no. like kind of just forgot the words and he was singing in front of the whole class. And I was just like, oh, shoot, maybe, you know, I can just like start harmonizing with him or something. And so like what had happened afterwards, I don't know how he did, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't an A. <laughs> like just Got because, it. you know, okay. he didn't know all the words, but. 
um, the chorus teacher at the time, Miss Mac was her name. She pulled me aside uh, away from everybody. She was like, hey, you should you should join choir. And I was like, mm, uh, probably not. You know, like, I, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm good with this woodworking. Yeah, thing. exactly, dude. You should see the stool I just built, you know. <laughs> and so I thought about it. But then the next year they were going to Florida. So I was like, hell yeah. I'm 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 down for that, you know. Like I can't sing, but like they're all going. I don't think anyone else can sing really well in the cor- the chorus. And then I signed up, and then you know one thing led to another. I just kept like auditioning for things Miss Mac wanted me to audition for. So it was first like regionals, uh, which is like the mm-hmm. northeastern region, and then like all state, and then so I, I like got into both of those miraculously. And then that's you know how my musical career kind of started. It was weird. Yeah, that's it's it's really interesting because I know Kev pretty well, so it's pretty it's like a pretty interesting story, uh, in terms of like how that ended up coming about. And I think what's interesting about that is like when people listen to your voice now, and I'm sure it's changed over the years, but when people listen to your voice now, they're like, "Oh, that's a good singing voice." And and then like it's kind of interesting, the thought process that is going through your head in terms of like oh i don't really think this is that great in comparison to everything else but obviously making regionals and making all state is something to be like i guess you know applauded for especially at some at at an age where you felt like you kind of just jumped into it without any formal training yeah man because like mostly the kids in all state they spend their summers or even the school semester um at like music school you know when they're done with classes they would go and like get professionally trained and so when mm. i went there for all state at least and they were doing auditions the judges all had their backs faced away or they were just not facing us while we were auditioning oh early early version of the voice yeah exactly basically. exactly and so okay, like they okay. just had all all of us sing our parts one by one all the guys right and then i heard these beautiful andrea bocelli voices coming out from every single one of them so i was like dude there's no way i can compete with them like these guys haven't professionally trained their voices sound like angels i am screwed right and so like when i actually did make it um i was like this is this is wild. You know, they they must mm. have made a mistake. You know, like this is this is really <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and so from then on, I was like maybe, you know, singing could be a thing. It could be like more than just like a hobby kind of thing. That's what kind of spurned that interest. Interesting. So do you like going into college and stuff like that? Is this pro- this was like the end of junior year, going to senior year, stuff like that? Did you, like, have ideas of possibly trying to pursue something in music professionally or going to, like, a music school um, or anything like that? You know. Or not really? Not really. My chorus teacher had asked if I wanted to pursue music seriously, and I told her, I was like, no, probably not. And I think that that was more of just a reaction from how I was raised. You know, just just being an Asian-American in general you know, like mm. if I had gone and told my parents that, you know, I I received this affirmation from my chorus high school teacher, I think you should take my singing seriously. They would probably be like, dude, no, like you just started, you know, like, right, you know, right. like we've been sending you to academies and stuff to like learn um, other stuff. So like math, it's not, yeah, math. Exactly. <laughs> and, so this isn't going to fly English, all of yeah. a sudden. Right, right. Um, so that was kind of scary for me, and so I didn't pursue it seriously after. 
Mm. And I think that takes us to college, obviously. And this is where um, I met Dave in college, our freshman year. And obviously, there's a a lot of funny stories about how we met, how we were both pretty stupid freshmen, getting ourselves into trouble, all that type of stuff. Um, But aside from all of that, um, do you want to kind of talk about like that journey your freshman year? Because something really significant ended up happening that freshman year. And it's really interesting because like in my head, I under I like can mark all the different periods that you went through with like all the things that I was going through in college. So like I remember freshman year, um, like just meeting you in the middle of the first semester and I was like, all right, nice guy, but I don't know if I'm going to hang out with this dude or whatever. And look at us now. But um, our freshman year, you ended up going to pursue this opportunity. So, like, get into – let's get into all the stuff that kind of, like, made you, like, somewhat recognizable to a lot of different people. So, dang, dude, that brings me back. Freshman year when we first met, yeah, we got into trouble, and I don't think we ever left, man. <laughs> we just, we're just still <laughs> oh, stuck in nope. <laughs> It's just a different kind of trap. But – yeah, so freshman year, first semester, I had left after I took my last final uh, in pursuit of this whole music thing or trying to take it more seriously. And that actually happened because a friend in high school was auditioning for a singing competition. A singing competition, mind you, that I had no idea what really in, like what that really entailed, right? Turns out it was like a singing competition for Korea. So... I don't know about you, but like, you know, well, uh, sorry, I do know, but we're not that good at Korean, you know, like, no, like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, but you're significantly better than I am. I know. So like, like, give yourself a little bit more credit because I am not good and you are like marginally better. Marginally but you better. Are definitely That's true. Better. Marginally you're definitely better. better. Yeah. So with my marginally better Korean skills, I went over and I auditioned after my friend had auditioned because she was initially like, hey, come out and support me kind of thing. And I was like, okay, cool. So went up to New York where they were doing the first round of auditions. And, you know, essentially they were like, hey, anyone else want to audition for this thing? And then this was after she had gone. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And then so I had gone and like they were like, hey, we're doing the real taping tomorrow and we want to invite you back into like a, a, a more legit like professional studio kind of thing. And I was like, shit, why not, man? Like I'm, I'm here, I'm on break. And so I, had, I got the invitation back for the next day and the thing started at like eight in the morning, dude. It was crazy. I don't know if mm. I ever told you, but eight in the morning they had all their cameras set up they gave us all of our numbers it was super f- professional i was like number 30 out of 50 people that i gotten selected for that second day got it and so like it was nuts like being in a room full of people that actually wanted to pursue music and that's mm. like different like when you as someone that like likes music is around people that really want to make this their life it kind of puts things into perspective because for them it was more than just like, you know, just a hobby. Like for me at right. that point, it was just like, I'm going to sing songs because I like singing songs. But for them, it was like, I want to sing songs because I have a story to tell and I think I can make money off of this. It's like mm-hmm. so different, you know? And so I had, like, I had listened to everyone practice and I was like, holy, like some of these people are actually extremely talented. 
you know and like yeah. some of them obviously were just like yeah you know like you're just like me you, you like singing <laughs> you know and so <laughs> uh, i just went there with no expectations um just no real anxiety because the judges that were there i didn't know who they were it's weird because like right. dude if if i were on the voice or american idol and simon cowell were there was there right i'd be like Dude, that guy, I've seen videos of this guy. This guy is scary, right? But like these right, right. people or like Adam Levine exactly, or someone dude. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a pop artist, like a since like a superstar. If they were there, yeah, I'd yeah. be freaking out. And most of the contestants before me that had gone, they were freaking out. They were like, "Oh my goodness, like X, Y, and Z, like Joe PD is going to be there. And I was like, dude, I don't know what that means. Like that guy has letters in his name. Like, I don't like, <laughs> I, don't, like I don't know. So like, right. because of that, it put me at a level of ease that the other contestants just didn't really have. And so right. I went and when I was called, I did my thing and then they gave me their feedback. I knew it was positive. So here's the thing. I'm marginally better than you at Korean. And I, I knew what they were saying was positive. And that's it. That's all I knew, right? <laughs> You're I, like, yes. <laughs> I knew they were, like, saying, like, good things because the guy was smiling. The audience behind him, like, the little, like, 20 people behind him, um, yeah. five of which were my friends that I brought, they they were all <laughs> like, oh, that's great. And they, they're much better than Korean than we are, right? Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I guess this is good, right? And so, like, they filmed this whole thing of me, like, acting like, I just heard the news. This is crazy, dude. They made us do this two times, but they like initially told me I'm on the spot. This isn't recorded yeah. on TV, but they were like, okay. okay, you're going to go to Korea essentially. Right. And I was like, Oh, this is crazy. Right. And they were like, Hey man, that reaction, you know, we, we, let's get it again. So like they essentially had me walk up the stairs and I think you've seen this and my other yes, friends have I've seen, seen this. this clip. This is the one that was taped. That was kind of scripted. They were like, okay, right, walk right. up the stairs. Your friends will be waiting up the stairs. Right. And you're going to break the news to them. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, is there, what else should I do? You know? And like, right. this is when kind of the whole TV reality series of just like, you know, e something as innocent as like a singing competition or any competition where you assume it's not scripted. This is when like that reality was kind of shattered for me because I was like, this is right, actually right. pretty scripted. And so I had gone upstairs and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to Korea. And they had to act like they had heard it for the first time, too. They were like, oh, what? You know, like uh -huh. it was just like terrible acting all around. But yeah, dude, that was a first semester freshman year. And yeah, I don't it, know how you kind guys of a whirlwind. Yeah. No, I mean. I thought it was like really interesting and pretty cool, obviously, to like see your friend and s friend and like college friend like that's um, like on TV and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. And it's like crazy to see like um, that first initial audition and like the excitement that people had over it especially all of our friends like in school and just like cheering you on it was obviously really cool to see but just to kind of like backtrack a little bit and talk about it a little bit and kind of summarize what the experience was like it was it's and for the listeners it, it's similar to like an american it's like the korean version of american idol in some ways and and to kind of like color the picture a little bit during that time period. I can't believe this is like 10 years ago already, but 10 years ago, 
like Korean singing shows were extre- like Korean singing audition shows were extremely popular during that time. So like it was kind of crazy to like see Dave's name like trending on like all these Korean websites and stuff like that. Um what was like what was dealing with all that stuff like when like you saw your name like trending on Naver which was like the Korean like I don't know what like social media websites and stuff like that. What like what was your reaction to it? Because you are like more Americanized, I would say, in in comparison. Yeah. Did that like Dude. fly over your head a little bit, it, or was it something that like w- you were just like, oh wow, this is actually becoming a thing? Yeah, it was like wow, this is bigger than I thought it'd be. Because when I first got the ticket to Korea, I called my mom. And this was another scene that they had me film multiple times. But, you know, I called my mom telling her I was going to Korea. And she was initially, this is the reason why they told me to film it twice, right? Initially, I called her and she was like, nah. <laughs> you know, she was like, nah, like, that's not true. And, like, this, yeah, obviously, the producers heard that and they were like, nah, mom, you can't have a reaction like that. You know, this is like a show. We got to sell your, we, we got to sell your kid. And so, you know, we had to do it a couple more times. But going to Korea, those first few weeks, I had just gone there to really just be immersed in the motherland culture because the last time I had been there uh, was in eighth grade. And so like more than 10 years had passed at this point and I just wanted to like explore and reinvestigate my Korean roots. And so that's all I was there for, just to like eat and just to like hang out. Mm. Uh, When I went to the subway for the first time though, I guess like the first episode had aired, the the US episode. And like people were like, dude, you 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 are you are that guy from that show and Uh i was like uh i guess so yeah it's like weird it's it's weird being like you know like when you're when you're on the subway and you you think you hear your voice and you turn and like you're just like oh okay i guess it was no one it's weird when like that voice is actually substantiated and like a person like that's actually looking for you it's like a totally Mm. different feeling um and I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know how to react. Like I like when people were like, "Hey, can you sign X, Y, and Z?" And I was like, "Dude, I I didn't make it. <laughs> you know, like this isn't something you should be asking of me because I I'm the nobody. You know." Mm. Um, but that being said, I will I I would be lying to say it didn't go to my head because eventually it did. Because I was like, the further I progressed on the show, I was like, "Man, I could I could really do this this thing. You know, this whole music thing." Um, but right. yeah, initially it was it was wild. Yeah, yeah. And I think even for us, it was kind of like surreal because we were just like, this is a dude I got into, like, we would go to parties with and like would drink with and act stupid with and like freshman year. And we're just like, this guy is on TV now. And like, basically, at that point, we didn't really know like what you were going to do because of it. But it was really cool just to kind of see that and experience all of that. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave, one of the things that I found interesting is like um, some of like the change in your clothing and like the way like in, during like the show and like you looked a little bit more different and all that stuff. Like, can you talk a little bit about the differences between some of the Korean culture um, in comparison to american culture and like the culture shock that you experienced while you were in korea as you progressed throughout the show you know it's crazy because i had gone to korea uh and to reiterate you know just i went there initially to reinvestigate my roots because i was like i am korean 
I'm Korean American, but you know, I'm I'm Korean. Like if people look at me, that's definitely what they would assume I am, or Asian in general in America. The crazy thing is, it's reversed in Korea. When you actually go there, and you first show up as someone who's just like been born and raised in the states, they can pick you out so easily, man. I had no idea, and it's all because of the way you dress and the way you hold yourself, apparently. And you know, my grandmother had lived in; she was in the capital of Seoul, but you know, around her, she had all of these like Seven Elevens, which are like gs20 gs11s or whatever it's like their version of 7-eleven there okay and okay. i had walked yeah. in one day because they had like a, a smartphone thing that i really needed and then the guy was like hey when did you come from the states and i was like brother i look like you how did you know that you know like mm. obviously I, I couldn't say that in korean because i was like that's what i wanted to say but i was like yeah you know like what what <laughs> you know but it's weird because Koreans in Korea, they all dress, I think, in a very uniform or a very similar way. And the way they hold themselves is different from Americans. And so mm. the longer I was there, the more accustomed I, accustomed I got to that and like the fobbier I dressed. Um, and like just because I dressed more fobby did not it didn't mean like I was less American. It was just like weird for them. I think it was just like this kid's definitely American. We're just trying to cover it up with this fobby clothing. So I don't know, man. It was weird. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. I I just thought I was like, oh man, Dave's like wearing gla- thick rimmed glasses mm-hmm. that I never knew that he would wear. He was wearing a scarf. Oh when yes, it didn't look like it was hot out, or it looked like it was kind of warm outside. Yeah, pretty hot. <laughs> um, so it was it was just like an interesting time, but. Like going back to the competition, as you progress throughout the competition, just talk a little bit more about um, some of like the songs that maybe you chose. Um, and like, was there this pressure because you were American and couldn't speak uh, Korean as well as some of the uh, native born Korean speakers? Um, was there this pressure to like choose Korean songs to prove that you can? can perform in that way or um in terms of like song selections and things like that absolutely man you know the the funny thing is i i i wasn't like explicitly pressured by any producer any or anybody to sing korean songs but i felt that being in that environment and understanding the audience that they were trying to cater to in korea I felt as though I had to sing Korean songs almost, you know? Mm. Um, and it's weird because the other contestants would always go for the American songs, you know? just Right, to kind of like differentiate Exactly, themselves. and then when I would ask them, I was like, hey, why don't you sing a Korean song? It's just be like, oh, it's just because American songs just sound better. And I was like, well, mm. shit, American songs sound better to me too, you know? But like for me, being um, an American-born Korean it's just weird, you know, like I felt as though I had to sing Korean songs. And I think that ultimately um, I would have done a lot better if I stuck with American songs. I only sang I, I sang zero American songs, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Show. If... You know, I wish yeah. I did. I, w- I really wish I did. But then, like, I think I was like too, ye- maybe not too young, but like I was just like may like just buying into the whole like this is a Korean show for a Korean audience kind of thing. Mm, interesting yeah um so like when you're progressing throughout that competition and like meeting all these different con- contestants and things like that 
like what was that vibe like just as you're progressing throughout the competition you kind of alluded to it a little bit during your first audition um but what was it like to kind of see a lot of these people with like-minded dreams going after something um especially in like an industry where not a lot of people really like make it make it you know what i mean um what was that kind of like being able to collaborate with all these different people and talk with people um, that had like-minded dreams like that. It was really inspiring, and it only made me want to pursue music even more when I got back. Um, mm. You know, the one thing that I was I learned throughout that whole process is that, number one, everybody has a song. Regardless if you can sing, you can play an instrument, I truly believe that everyone has a song just by the virtue of the life that they live as unique individuals, right? And for me, um, I'm, I can sing, so like the way that I express that life is through song. But, you know, regardless of the gifts that you may have at your disposal, I think that, you know, everyone has that life song and they have a different way of expressing it. For you, I think, you know, this podcast may be a great example. You know, where you're able right. to do life with other people and express your life. And that's the one thing that the competition really enlightened me on. Maybe it is because I was around so many other people um, doing music. I just realized very quickly that everybody has a different perception of music. And it just really stems from their own personal life. Mm. And what was like, uh, and to, I guess, like, kind of close out this chapter of, like, where you, what ended up happening, like, how far did you make it? And one of the interesting questions to me whenever I'm, like, confronted by, like, or whenever I watch, like, a singing competition, like, what was that idea of, like, competition like in and like how you were able to thread the needle and understand that you're in a competition, but also remain true to yourself as an artist and as like, um, as like a singer. See, this is, that's a great question because I think that if you, if you look at it statistically, I think that there aren't, even if you make it to the, as a finalist on like a singing competition, like, uh, um, I think like American Idol season one, Clay Aiken, like you, you don't really hear about him anymore, right? Yeah, like, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. Popular. Yeah, there yeah. are very few that make it through yeah. the whole gauntlet of the singing competition that actually become relevant artists, and I think there's a reason for that. I think that you know when people are exposed to, um. Like, when you listen to, like, a famous artist on the radio, right, you don't really know anything about their life. You don't really know about, like, what they've gone through, essentially. You just know that you like their music, right? Mm. But I think that competition and shows, because they focus on other things besides just the music, that paints, like, a, an interesting picture in a lot of people's minds when they're watching it um, that, I don't know, it, it like rarely ever it it, bec it like allows that person to become like a superstar superstar in in a weird way and i don't know if that makes any sense mm, yeah, interesting yeah um but like the whole like competition aspect is interesting too because i don't know if that's a good formula for allowing an artist to be true to themselves mm. because at the end of the day 
if you're on a competition like the one that I was on, like an American Idol or The Voice, you know that you have to use your gift to essentially be better than someone else. You know, Mm -hmm. like you have to garner enough votes, whether it's through the judges or through audience choice or whatever. You still have to use your talent to be better than your competition. It's not really Mm -hmm. about freely expressing yourself. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, right. It's it's like if you were doing a podcast for just like for your enjoyment versus like in a competition, it'd be it'd be different. You know, like the way that you would hold yourself and. Yeah, I think that, like, all of that together, it, like, produces this weird formula for, and, and the outcome is, like, um, like rarely, like, a superstar, like Kelly Clarkson. Cause, right, or Je- J-Hud, Jennifer Hudson was on American exactly. Idol. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because think about, dude, I think American Idol is at season 20, 20 plus yep. at this point. And, like, to think that of all those hundreds of thousands of people that have auditioned, you know, thousands of people that made it to like the semifinals, you know, like hundreds of people that made it to the finals. You only know two like it's it's like mm-hmm. there's something and like we all agree that as Americans, when we're voting for these like finalists, that all of them have amazing voices, you know, totally. And like to think that we only consider two as like superstars or like relevant stars is like it's different. And I think it's because we've been exposed to different things, um, watching different things. You know, and, like, being exposed to them as, like, people from, like, a different perspective. As opposed to, like, an Adam Levine. Like, we don't know anything about Adam Adam Levine. We just know that his songs are awesome. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about, especially, like, specifically Korean shows, is K-pop is, like, was a huge thing. It's a huge thing now, but it was big back then, too. And a lot of these audition shows were, like, these pipelines for these entertainment companies in Korea that were looking for, I would say, a specific type of um, artist or singer um, and a person that had different talents um, and maybe not at all being focused on just the voice itself, but whether or not they had, like, the package, like, the whole package in terms of, like, star quality the it factor looks and like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the voice almost remain almost being somewhat secondary after a lot of those things um because of what i think the korean market really wanted back then um a lot of like k-pop groups were really popular back then um and like whenever i think of the music that you like singing it didn't really match up with a lot of that yeah for sure and I had a, I had a hard time after the competition when I had got into the the recording agency essentially um, to reconcile that because the agency right. that I was part of was called Cube and they were all about you know dance and just like K-pop like straight up what you think K-pop is that's what Cube represented and so mm-hmm. to think that I had to morph my image to match theirs it just at the end of the day it never really worked out no matter how hard both of us tried, you know, like me or the agency. So, yeah. Right. So, like, kind of, like, coming out of that competition and, like, where did you end up finishing? And then, like, we'll kind of get into, like, the Cube Entertainment type of stuff. Yeah. So I finished at the top 12, which is crazy um, when I think back on it because I don't speak Korean. um, Yeah. And I, I don't know. I really don't know. 
I think what had got me that far was my initial audition because everyone that I met in Korea was like, oh, your initial audition in New York was great. And that was mm-hmm. honestly because of that lack of anxiety that I felt. The more I right, got... there's that freedom. Exactly. The more I got into it and the more I realized where I was and who I was singing in front of, the judges, because when I told the ju- like my mom like who the judges were, she was like, oh my goodness, these guys are actually like superstars in their own respective Mm. right and then so that got me thinking like shoot i should google these people you know and like when i did (laughs) i was like holy shoot like some of these songs that these people have produced or sang themselves i know and like we Mm. would go to karaoke and sing their songs you know and i was like dude this is different you know and so like i got more anxious and more nervous and I couldn't, at the end of the day, be true to myself and the music that I wanted to share. Yeah. If that makes sense. It was just like, yeah, I'm yeah. just in a competition. I have to beat out the rest of the people and impress these judges, as opposed to right. just getting on stage and just being myself. And there was like that mentality shift, I think, from post um, like competition to kind of now moving into this space of like being part of this entertainment group. Um, and being signed by essentially like this record label um, to kind of make it simple for a lot of people to understand um, that are in America. But you're part of this record label, uh, Cube Entertainment. Like, who are some of the artists that were pretty famous coming out of there? I I don't really know, um, but there were some like famous artists. There right? at that time, there was Beast. There was uh, oh, Four yeah. Minute and uh, Gina. Yeah. So those were the the three biggest money makers for Cube. So what was like what was that like environment like? Because I think a lot of people, especially like a lot of like young Korean kids really want to be a K-pop star and they don't understand like what it's like to be training like every single day, like like a job basic essentially. Um and being part of this entertainment company, what was like the daily schedule like being part of it? It's something that I don't wish upon anybody, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah. And this is the thing that breaks my heart. Like if you if we look at K-pop right now, we instantly think of one group right at this time, BTS. Right. They've yep. made it. And this is the group that's spreading k-pop around the world and they're doing a great job at it don't get me wrong but at the same time it can't help make me feel that they're kind of misleading people into understanding k-pop as a whole because they don't represent k-pop as a whole let's be real you know they are the one percent of the one percent that make it Mm -hmm. you know it's as if big bang got global recognition because you know big bang was pretty popular when we were in high school but they weren't to the level that BTS is now. And so... Oh, yeah. Nowhere near that. Yeah. And so BTS is just kind of like shaping how people think of Koreans and, you know, for better or for worse. While when I was in Korea, uh, 2011, that whole year, I was exposed to an industry that I had only heard rumors about uh, in the way that they treat like their trainees. And I was a trainee at the time. And so every day... We would go and we were expected to show up at 1 p.m. You know, it, it sounds great, but we always left at 10 p.m. So it was a 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. day, right? We only had Sundays off, right? And so this six-day grueling schedule was jam-packed with what 
you would know as classes, essentially, dude. From like 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., I had dancing classes. Then a little bit of a break, right? From 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., guess what? Another dancing class because I sucked, right? And then a little bit after that, guess what, dude? It was an exercise class because I was a little bit, I was a lot bigger than those other boys, right? And I was like, dude, what is this? And like, it was literally three out of the six days just consumed with dancing. So they would like assign you a trainer, right? A dancing uh-huh. or an acting or a vocal coach um, based on what your weaknesses were and where you really right. needed to highlight. I'm trying to imagine you doing like all these hip hop ar- dances. Please don't. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I still can't dance to this day, but I had a great time um, just like learning and just being, you know, around these trainers, but it's literally like a class every day. Right. And so on Monday, right, after a full week of classes, they got everybody, all the trainees and the artists, if they were available in one room and they lined us all up. Right. The trainees on one side, the artists on the other, along with the producers and the agency executives. Right. And they would have us one by one demonstrate what we had learned that like previous week. For me, it was it was almost always dance, dude. Almost no way, right? So, like, I was like, hey, man, like, this past week, all I did was body rolls. Y'all want to just see body rolls for three and a half minutes? Like, be my guest, right? Like, let's run it, right? Just play that song, and I'll just show you the, the meanest body roll. And, you know. Guys, coming to you on the near, uh, the next wedding. Oh, jeez. But, uh, yeah, man, like, you know, occasionally I would do, like, like singing because I, I still had singing classes, and I enjoyed that. Of course, and they were just like, nah, man, you don't have to focus on singing. You need to focus on dancing. So that's all I did, dude. And on Monday, when you arrived after your Sunday one-day break, they weighed you also. Interesting. To make sure that you didn't gain any unexpected weight, which I almost always did because I don't know. Sunday. Sunday, (laughs) man. One day, day, I just got to load up on all the carbs. And, dude, they sell soju, like, everywhere, and it's cheaper than water. So I was like, man, I got to partake in some of this. You know, I was just just a terrible person. But, you know, I always came a little bit heavier than they expected, and so they just had me run a couple miles outside and then come back in. It was wild, Mm. dude. Yeah. And I think it's, like, really interesting to kind of, like, hear some of the insight into, like, that world because that's a world I would never be exposed to uh, if I didn't know someone that was, part like, part of the industry for a little bit. Um, so, like, kind of, like, post all that experience, like, um, like what were you training to become? Like, wh- I don't – like, I think a lot of people expect – like a lot of these training train like trainees to become like part of a k-pop group was that what they were prepping you to become they were man um your listeners may not know this and i don't know if they're that popular right now but there's a group called b2b that was part of cube mm. and they've debuted since and i don't know if they're still aligned to cube but i was training with them um as like a singer for that group there was also another group of guys uh, that have not made it that I was also considered to be the lead singer for. So it was either one of those two. It was more so the other group than B2B, but because uh, mm. B2B is a little bit shorter than I am in general. And I would have just stuck out like a sore thumb, like doing uh, body waves in the background. <laughs> so that wouldn't have worked out. But uh, yeah, man, it was one of those two groups. They always try to assign you into a group unless like, 
Mm. Uh, unless, like, I think, like, you're a superstar talent that can really do it all. Like, on your own. Exactly. Right. Unless you're, like, a Chris okay. Brown that can dance, sing, act, all of that. Mm. Um, and that's super rare, man. Like, that's not something that people are born with. Here's something that I think that you can learn how to sing. You can learn how to dance. But you can never learn how to do them both um, simultaneously. simultaneously and be super good at both. In my opinion, I think that's something to be good at both of those things, to be able to control your voice and your body like that. Those are things you got to be born with. Like that combination mm, is something you got to be born with. In my opinion, I've never met anyone that I could say is like just as good as dancing as they are singing to like mm. a high caliber level. Got it. Which which may be why there are, there's only one Chris Brown in the world, <laughs> you know, like right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's like an interesting concept. I think one of the and like that whole culture in Korea is like super interesting in terms of like uh like them training you to be part of a specific group. I think it's like very different in comparison to like the American culture and how they think of like artists and singers and things like that a little bit more autonomy i would say but it's it's really interesting to see like how people make it in korea in comparison to like how people make it in america yeah do you know what the thing is i I know i've told you this but i really feel like korea with the whole boy band thing they are in a way catching up to american music if that makes sense because like that whole boy band thing we went through that in the states too with like like early 2000s yeah yeah. backstreet and late 90s yeah yeah you know and like that's the something that korea eventually caught up to like you know like 10 years after america did and then i guess they just found out that like the asian market loves boy bands and they just kept going with it but Mm. recently maybe in the past three years there are a lot more independent artists that are coming out just like the States, you know, just, just like us. And, but the States went through this maybe like 10 years ago where it's just like independents that do their own stuff. And Korea. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing a lot of hip hop artists do their own thing. And it's like, it's considered like, wow, this is nuts. It's revolutionary. And it's just almost like, you know, the States kind of already did it. Uh, it's really interesting. It is interesting. To kind of like yeah. see see like the growing like the trends in music and like how they hit different markets uh, and different parts of the world. I think is really fascinating. For sure. Um, so obviously Dave was like wasn't chosen to be part of like one of the boy boy bands or uh what was like that transition like You're coming welcome. back <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly what was that transition like because i mean um i'm trying to think like i remember like you always had this crazy story about you being at in japan part of the the earthquake uh how that shaped a little bit of like your thought process in terms of that um, I don't know if you wanted to get into that, but I that was like earlier before like you joined Cube, right? Was that earlier before you joined Cube? Um, a little bit after. A little oh, bit it was after. after. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's the reason why I had left. Um, so I, I'll like I won't go into too much detail, but essentially, like I was there during the the crazy earthquake in 2011 that like was a 9.8 magnitude earthquake, you know, being a Jersey kid, just never experienced any of that. So literally got rocked to the core uh, in more ways than one went back to Korea and essentially was just like, dude, I can't do this, you know? Um, Mm. And so I I had come back to the States 
But the whole almost year of me being in Korea and just wanted to pursue this dream of singing or thinking that I wanted to pursue it kind of warped my mentality a little bit. Uh, because when I got back, I was like, man, I want to do this. Like, uh, this was something that I wanted to, like, pursue kind of deep down. Um, it, it was just like, it's weird because, like, I it's just like, shoot, I'm back in college and all my friends are here. Hey, Kev. You know, it's like everyone's yeah, yeah. still the same. No, it was, yeah. no, it was just like, yeah, and I was just living my life. Like, I, I go into sophomore year, like, my first semester, Dave wasn't there. Um, he ended up coming our second semester of sophomore year. So, like... It was just like we're the same old like people, but Dave like had obviously gone through this crazy journey. Um, I remember that he had come back, and there's this funny story that I always remember. And our good friend Hedjun, me, you, Hedjun, uh, were at like a local bakery in Pal Park. Um, I believe it. I think it was a uh, boba boba land. I think so. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah, we're in boba land, and we're just like chilling out, like catching up because Dave had just gotten back. And, like, there are two girls sitting, like, right next to us. And they just, like, interrupted our conversation. And they were like, are you are you that person? And that was, like, my first time, like, because David told us about those experiences of him getting stopped on the street and, like, getting recognized. But they had actually recognized Dave in America. And I was just like, I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy, like, that people, like, could recognize your face and, like, had experienced all that. So it was really, it was just, like, a funny moment and, like, a snapshot into, like, maybe what you had experienced in Korea throughout that time uh, when you're going through that competition show. Right, uh, right. Which is really funny. Um, but anyways, like, when you got back, um, like, our sophomore year, in the middle of sophomore year, what was, like, what was it like adjusting to kind of like normal college life again after this whirlwind of like a year and a half basically or basically it was like a year basically of you being in korea experiencing all that type of stuff like what was that transition like dude back to like it was normal so college life weird because when i had left i had left right when freshman year was starting to make sense you know, and then when I got back, you guys were sophomores and you guys kind of had gotten most of the freshman crazies out of you, but I didn't, yep. I didn't have that, you know? And nope. so I was like, what are we doing? It's a, it's a Wednesday night. You know, like, you know, I, I had that like stupid kid mentality. And so like coming back, it was like a, definitely a, a readjustment because you guys were technically a year older or in sophomore year and I was still a freshman. Right. And so that was a little bit difficult. Um, readjusting to the culture wasn't too hard because I had always, even in Korea, just identified more as like an American, um, anyways, just by birth and just like, I do remember though, a funny story. Yeah. Sorry to cut you yeah, off. No worries. Your English had gotten worse. What? Like, no way. I felt like you, it was hard for you to speak English in some ways. I don't. In some instances. I like, don't you would doubt like, that. Try, yeah. I don't doubt you that. were trying to like find words for things that you're like, what's that word? Like, and this was like super brief before you acclimated, but it was just really funny that you're like struggling for certain simple words. And that's kind of what happens like when you transition, especially living in Korea for a year. That's true. So. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like all gone. You know, I can't remember like basic Korean words, but I don't doubt that at all, dude. Because I really, when I was there, especially when I was at Cube, I really immersed myself in Korean culture, uh, or, or the language, rather. 
And it, mm-hmm. it also helped that they had like a Korean like coach or like a teacher that would help me. So like I had daily lessons and stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right, dude. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what else were you going to get into before I cut you off in terms of like like transitioning back? Um, not, not too much, to be honest. It was just like an interesting transition, like being back and just being a student again and having that as my identity. That's something that was a little bit different because when I was in Korea, my identity was, um, you know, like a dream chaser, essentially like a glorified dream Mm. chaser. And then when I had come back and I had made this decision to leave the agency, that's when that identity should have died. But because music was something that I wanted to, you know, forever in my life, it was almost as if, like, I just rather, I suppressed it rather than just, like, stop it, if that makes sense, you know? Um, And so when I had come back, I was like, shoot, I still kind of want to do music in, like, a different way, obviously, but I don't know Mm -hmm. how now. The agency was just, like, like being there and being surrounded by other like-minded artists all the time it fostered that dream and that identity. But just being away right. from that and being like next to normal people and just students that wanted to pursue other industries, it was weird, kind of. Because it, mm. it was like, shoot, I still deep down have this heart to chase this, but it's not being fostered in the way that I was used to, and I didn't know how to foster it anymore. And it, right. you know, and so that was really challenging. Right. And I think one of the really interesting ways that like from an outsider's perspective and saw you trying to foster like this passion for music, but not knowing how to go about doing it was like some of the songs that you released on YouTube and then some of the things that like you were helping uh, our good friend Tyler uh, produce his like first rap album which was kind of fun to do like in in the in the closet of our dorm room um late nights i remember i would like fall asleep to you guys like basically recording all the way up until like one two three in the morning and it was just like a really cool process to see especially like with our janky with the janky mics and mixers and things like that that you use to produce uh that album but what was like that creative process like not just specifically for that project but just in general in terms of like how that how like your time in korea helped foster some of like the writing process and like the production process of like actually making a song so in korea towards the end of my stint there in the agency i had started to realize that over singing just like doing performances and stuff i really like the nitty-gritty production element of that and being able to work with people to bring that there's essentially their story out in song if they choose to right and that was only reinforced by the time that we had with tyler when he was doing his album the lonely traveler which i th- i still listen to all the time um yeah yeah i do too i w- that whole time and that experience i know for him like for an artist it's like it feels different but for me as the the kind of like the producer behind it i was like dude i really like this I really love just like being able to spend time with the artist, like no matter how many times it takes to get that perfect sound bite, to make the mm-hmm. whole song sound like it's supposed to be cohesive and belong in that album together. 
you know, and that's right. something that I really fell in love with. And for the writing process itself, Tyler and I would just like spend hours just like analyzing his lyrics and see how it felt over the beat and stuff. And like we would do it mm-hmm. over and over and again. But that process really made me understand that that is what being an artist is really all about. It's not just mm-hmm. about like singing a song one time on television or being in front of like a bunch of people and doing a performance. It's about that process that makes the performance. Right, right. So, Dave, one of the things that I did want to talk about was kind of talk about this, like, this culture of YouTube and, like, what that's like. Because you did have, like, a YouTube channel that you would post songs on. I remember, uh, like, your early, like, super early song that you covered. Um, I think it was Billionaire by, like, um, Travi McCoy. Yeah. Like, a, a long time ago. Right. Like, that, I remember that having, like, a million views on, on YouTube and stuff like that. And what was, like, what was that, like, I know that was pre-college, I think. What was, like, posting stuff on YouTube? And YouTube had become, like, a bigger medium, uh, especially during our time in college. What was, like, that, like, being able to post stuff on YouTube and then kind of, like, read through comments and, like, scroll through, like, people that were, like, eh, I don't know about this. Or people just being, like, oh, this is really good. Uh, okay. First, definitely not a million views. <laughs> no way, Ooh. nowhere close. Was it not a million no, views? No, I, no, no. Like a no, no. hundred thousand, I'm pretty sure. Uh, maybe that, but definitely not a million. Because a million okay. would have just been like, wah. But regardless, the you. It was a significant amount to the point where I was like, oh, that's a decent amount mm-hmm. of views. You bring up a good point that a lot of people don't understand about social media and posting on social media. The comments, if you're not ready for the comments, don't post. Like, you have to be in a certain state, right? And this is something that I wish I could tell myself when I was first posting videos because these comments got to me a lot more than they should have. But these Mm -hmm. comments are never, ever going to go your way. Like, if you get 500 comments, you should expect 450 comments out of the 500 to be negative. And if you're you're not ready for that, don't post. Like, you have to be at a certain level comfortable with the gift that you are given and your want and your desire to share that with the world. Because, dude, some of the comments that I got was just, like, ridiculous, you know? And it just really was discouraging. Like some of those things. Yeah, I, I do remember some. Yeah, I do remember some of the comments yeah. and us talking through all that type of stuff and it being discouraging. Um, one of the things that I do want to actually kind of touch on now, um, you did do a couple like live performances like um, throughout college and like performed live and even post college, you were you you were doing like a couple like competitions right, and like right. things like that, yep. like where you performed live. Um, and like, I always think about whenever you would like record a song mm-hmm. for YouTube or for a song that you do, Dave's like the perfectionist type where he needs to like get the right sound for one word in his song. Like, yep. I, re- I remember there was one song that you're singing over and over again. I think it was literally one line. Yeah. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like 40 times, yeah. 50 times. Yeah. Um, what is like how do you feel when you're singing a song in terms of like recording in in an, like a produced 
like song like that you're posting on YouTube in comparison to like performing live and what that difference is like? <sighs> this is something that I still struggle with because I still like have multiple, multiple takes for certain like one line or two lines. <laughs> right. Um It was it was literally like, yeah. <laughs> like literally like over and over I know, again. And I I'm know, like, I know, oh yeah. my god. And I, I was like, oh that sounds good. And you're like, eh, it was a little flat. I was like, that sounded pretty good. And man. I know <laughs> I know that like most of these things you can fix in production or post edit. Like when you're going through it, you can fix most of those things. But it's just about like the way I feel about it at the time that I'm singing whatever that phrase is or that word is. Um, but for live performances, it's not like you can redo those. You know, you can't be like, eh, oh, right, hold right. up, let me let me do that line again. You know, in the Star Spangled Banner. You know, you can't do that. And so, like live performances, usually. I don't know. I like I like doing both, but for like actual produced songs, I want to sit down and make sure that I get the feeling that I want to convey across. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's like a really interesting like distinction between both of those and like how different they can be. Um, and like cer- certain people get performance anxiety trying to perform like that one time. Um, and like whenever I would see you perform, you never, it seemed like you never, or you hit it really well. You tended to hide it really well. Um, at least when you're performing live, um, I don't know if you're hiding it or if you just didn't feel that type of like performance anxiety. Um, I still do feel performance anxiety, but it's less with singing than it is for speaking. If that mm. makes sense, because I think like uh, like singing, I've like gone through like a whole gambit of like competition and whatnot. So like if it's singing, I know that like I, you know, I'll just go there and I'll do it, you know. But if it's for mm-hmm. speaking for something that I have less experience with, I feel extremely nervous. And I don't know if it's like that with you. Like, I'm sure like if you do podcasts with anyone, you'd feel fine at this point. Right. But if you were asked to like speak at like a conference or something, it'd be like way different. Yeah, totally different. I think it's it's just like a love level of comfort that I've grown to have now that is a lot different in comparison to um in comparison to like live speaking, which I don't do on a regular basis, which is like a really interesting kind of thing. So Dave, we kind of this is like taking us to like the end of like sophomore year like junior year you did a couple like live performances things like that um what were some of like the coolest experiences that you had like once you came back to america like one of the things that i can remember is the thing that you invited me to where you sang the national anthem for uh president obama at the time um what was like that experience like? That was crazy, man. I don't even know how I was selected for that, um, how I even made it up there, but uh, it was it, it was just fantastic, dude. It was what? It was me, Ellen, and Matt. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was just like a wild thing. Like I didn't expect it to be that fancy when we showed up there. We were expecting like a room, maybe like 150 people max, but then... You know, we should have known because they told us to do uh, they told us to dress up real nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, but then, yeah, dude, that that I think that experience tops the cake. That's, yeah, th- that's got to be it. Like, I'm trying to think of other things. You did that. Um, I remember you um, had 
Like, this wasn't necessary. And one of the cool things I think that you got were a lot of really interesting and cool opportunities um, to, like, perform post coming back from Korea with all the stuff. Like, you had gained, like, a little bit of notoriety. I don't want to make your head too big, but got a little bit of notoriety in terms of, like, um, being able to, like, perform at different college shows and things like that, especially, like, Korean-American, like, group college shows, like, Asian-American college shows. I remember, like, we drove to Boston that one time so that you could perform. Like, you, like, went to Rutgers to perform and do their, like, whole, like, um, Korean-American performance thing um, post-Korea. And then, like... You you got some like other things like um you got to like go uh MC with Got Seven who's like a Korean boy boy group. What was like what was doing those types of things like um post like Korea? It was way different and way more freeing. And I'll explain why. It's because I don't I didn't have like an agency that represented me, you know. Uh, right. Even for the like the the school performances, like my friends from those schools would just ask me, and it was just like way different because it was just way more comfortable, you know. Mm. And I could do what I wanted, and you know, it was and it it was a performance allowed through a friendship, as opposed to like a contract. Um, for the Got Seven MC experience, along with like, um, what's that one that uh, that Zico's in Block B. Block B was another oh, yeah. one, yeah. Dude, I don't know what happened, but like I was first contacted after taking or not even taking it was after a class I was taking, um, and then like I received a Facebook message. And you know how like Facebook messages you can get like other messages where you would have to check right, your right, other right. inbox? For some yeah. reason, inner voice was like, check your inner inbox. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I checked my inner inbox and I got a message that day. And the person that had messaged me asked me if I was in town and I'd be interested to, interested in doing an MC gig for this boy band. And I, I thought it was a complete joke until I looked up the boy band and I was like, dude, they're like an established boy band in Korea. Like, how do they not have an MC? You guys have a show tonight? Like, you guys want me to do this? And then, so that's how that whole MC thing started. I, I guess I did a pretty decent job because then GOT7 came and then they had me do GOT7 all over the States. So it was awesome. Mm-hmm. yeah and it was like a really interesting like kind of like i remember you'd like send us pictures like you're in like dallas and like like doing stuff for them and yeah. like sf and it was kind of like interesting to like see yeah. um that and like interact like that interaction with like um people that were obsessed with k-pop they're like filling the stands and everything like that and filling uh like the concert halls mm-hmm. and like uh, trying to interact with different people so that was kind of cool right. um i think that brings us to um like another competition that you did um senior year collaboration uh which is like pretty well known amongst the asian american community and it really is to like highlight and showcase all this asian american co- um um talent within um america and it's usually like a singing competition or like i guess like a like a talent show kind of like america's got talent in that way um and you were able to perform that like performs um 
I remember like a compilation of songs yeah. in DC. Yeah. It was, and then that it was, was more like a story. And then that led to mm-hmm. uh, the performance in LA. Cause right. like Will, Matt and I got selected to go to LA and I was like, Whoa, this is cool too. And so, yeah, no, you know what? Like definitely lots of experiences, lots of opportunities, all of which I'm grateful mm-hmm. for in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like kind of interesting to co- look back as your friend with you to like recount all the things uh, that you were able to experience because of some of the things that you went through in Korea. So it was like really interesting to to go through that process. So Dave, what I, I think like that kind of like poses the question as to now, like where does that bring you in terms of like your like your relationship with music and how you interact with like singing and songwriting and all that stuff? Because I think I think there's always at least from an outsider's perspective, it seems like it'll, it's always, like, kind of hard to let go of, like, a dream that was so prominent once in your life. So what is, like, that relationship that you have with music now? The relationship I have with music now is definitely still love-hate because I love the process, but uh, I hate having to record 50 times the same line <laughs> over and over <laughs> <laughs> it still happens. But um, I think that music has really evolved for me, especially in the past couple months. Um, Interesting. I think I've okay. really found out how to write in the style that most suits me. And mm. it's interesting because I had always been writing since high school, probably like different like right. poems and like songs and stuff. And then when I look back at those things now, I realized that my writing and the style didn't really, it's not that it didn't suit me, but it wasn't like refined in a way, mm. you know, like I definitely am not like an Adele. Adele like wrote most of her smash hits when she was like 19 years old. And I don't understand how she did that. But for me, I think I'm really starting to understand the voice that I have and like the words that I want to shape that through voice and I'm really I I think I really started understanding that in the past few months and so the relationship that I want to pursue with music is one where I can really hone my writing through that Mm -hmm. song and so you know I don't have any aspirations to become like a famous singer or anything nothing like that I all I want to do is just like be able to one day say that I'm truly proud of the thing that I've written and the thing that I've recorded through Mm -hmm. song um yeah and just whether that be like an ep or an album i just want to do that once in my life and just be like Mm. i did it i i actually did it you know like these are all my words this is the music that is like really true to me you know yeah that's what i want to be able to say so what do you think has changed over the past couple of months that has led you on this path of of change in terms of like was there just this uh change in perspective in terms of like how you were able to write is that what it was um i think that for me i've always been plagued with this over optimism like you know me i'm pretty optimistic about most things and i think that there were a couple experiences that happened late last year and even like throughout this year uh even with like the pandemic happening right now that like reality Mm -hmm. is hitting me in a different way um and that it's exposing the fact that I can be too over 
overly optimistic and there are things that mm. i need to come to terms with not with like outright optimism but like a sense of reality and a sense of stepping back and analyzing the situation and once right. once i started realizing that i have that problem and i need to start doing you know the more of the analysis my writing actually changed it mm. wasn't like this uh, the writing that i used to have before was always kind of idealistic like a life that i didn't really have that i wanted to just like write about and i thought that i understood but the reason why I'm saying like my words are more refined now is because I feel as though I'm just writing from a place that's just really true to where I and am. And like authentic. Exactly. Yeah. And just like raw and like not really mm-hmm. caring about like how flowery it sounds. It's just like I need it to sound authentic to who I am because mm. I can, I guess I can, I can just sing it smooth, you know, like, right. you know, like. <laughs> I think that's yeah. what makes like R&B artists that the ones that we were talking about to bring it full circle, like Brian McKnight, some of those words, if you just read them, they're not like flowery. They're like very real, you know, mm-hmm. they're just like real words that like are like based in like pain and hurt and emotion. But then because they sing it so buttery smooth, you'll just be like, oh, dude, it's so it sounds so good. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And so that's yeah. what I want to do too. like make my words like as harsh or whatever as real as they sound like just sound good and that's i'll be happy with Mm. that that's it right so dave one of the things that i did want to kind of talk to you about um and thanks for letting us into your writing process and your thought process as you're thinking about a song um where are there like any artists like besides mcknight and things like that that you draw inspiration from now like uh, maybe someone that's a little bit more contemporary or is there or is it just pretty similar like back in the day r&b like mcknight that have kind of inspired nah you? dude i'm a huge hip-hop junkie um and i think yeah. that there aren't that many people that do it better than j cole right now Jake interesting cole, okay um I, I mean, I love me some Kendrick Lamar, but you got to move over, dude. Like, J. Cole's got it. Like, in my opinion, J. Cole is, like, the way he writes, I think, is genius. Um, I also think Chance the Rapper. I mean, he used to be better, but Chance the Rapper is good. I think yeah, <laughs> Kanye West, obviously, is a genius. Um, I can't mm-hmm. take anything else away from him. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, hip-hop has always stood out to me because they are able to express their story in a lot more words than their normal pop artists. You know what I'm saying? Like pop artists, they're given three minutes, same as a hip hop artist, three minutes, but because you're rapping as opposed to singing, you're, you have a lot more words to fit into that. But, but I mean, it's a gift and a curse because you can say a lot of nothing and it could be like Mm -hmm. a crap song. But most of the times the people that I was like referencing, they fit in words that are so meaningful. And they're right. really stories, you know? And so those people have always stood out to me, too. Right. Um, definitely not like my uh, like my track record, Three Blind Mice or anything like that. Uh, so. I would say you're up there, too, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're top five. <laughs> definitely not like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. I didn't expect you to say J. Cole because I think that's someone that uh, de- definitely has a lot of meaning in a lot of his lyrics. Um and has that thought process when he does come to his writing. Um, I know you're a huge Kendrick fan, or back in the day when he first came out with a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like a really interesting um, way to see what you're influenced by. Um, 
what and I think one of the things that I really wanted to talk about is like um I know that you serve on your praise band mm-hmm. and for church mm-hmm. and like how does like that influence like how you sing um in terms of like what singing is for and like w- how does that shape your perspective praise has been something that's always been tough um it took me a long time to get the confidence back to start serving at church um and i think that's because i was wrestling through everything that we had talked about just like me like getting a big head from going to korea um and then eventually just thinking that i couldn't serve because of like all the the stupid stuff i had done in between you know and it yep. took me a long time to kind of like reconcile and understand that like church isn't for perfect people and neither are the the singers on the, the praise team. Like nobody mm. there is perfect. But like if you right. if this is the gift that you know that God has given you, then you ought to use it in a way that blesses other people. Like you'd be doing yourself a disservice. You'd be doing like God's people a disservice. That's my opinion. I could be totally mm-hmm. wrong about that. But that's just what I came to understand that like I'm a, I'm broken. And these people are broken, but we're called to be using our gifts in any way like possible to bless the church. And so I was like, dude, mm-hmm. I don't have many other gifts. I don't I don't like you can't do much. I'll just sing, you know. And so yeah. but, you know, and that that kind of flawed thinking has led me to really be blessed. Not mm-hmm. not in like being able to sing, but being able to serve alongside other people that have that mentality that are just like just mm-hmm. as broken as I am. And it's just like we're in this together. And so singing in church has shaped my music too, because when I'm up there singing, um, I realize that like, I am, I feel as though I'm truly in worship when I'm just, you know, I'm not thinking about it. Like as if it's, it's not cause it's not like a performance. You're just leading other people. When it, when I tune myself out and I just, I'm just saying like, Hey, I'm just singing. Like, I'm just imagining that it's just me and God you know mm. and there's nobody else in the room and that that for me is like true worship and like really like helps me a lot i started to kind of incorporate that feeling um of just being still um into like my writing process too and so i think that's helping and really helping me shape a lot right that's really that's like a really interesting way to kind of look at singing at music and at the this idea of performance because i think like when you see the praise band up there like in some ways it's hard not to think of it as like you are witnessing a performance in some ways but also the fact that we as like the congregation are partaking in in praise and are only being like are are joining as one to praise right. uh, praise God. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's I think it's a really interesting concept and aspect that you've taken from serving on the praise band. Mm-hmm. Um one of the things that I also wanted to get into and we're an hour and 30 minutes in basically. Oh wow. And I have I have no idea who's listening still, but it would it's just been a really good conversation honestly. Um one of the things that I did want to get get into was some of the new music that you actually released. Um, Come away with me mm-hmm. was like a really interesting song to me, at least. And then I thought the the last song that you just 
had recently released a couple weeks ago. Was it a couple weeks ago now, or is it like yeah. I don't know how yeah. long it's been? I think it's been uh, a couple weeks now. Yeah, it's called uh, "What You Meant." So, like, where did you gain some of the inspiration for those two songs? And um, I guess, like, you know, like I've tried to like convince you to write about gospel music and like a praise song possibly maybe that's down the pipeline um but is there any like is there any plans for future songs to be released definitely future uh definitely plans for for music to continue i know that you had mm-hmm. louis on before but you know he and i are working yeah this on is stuff. like a lot yeah Ooh, yeah that's good. he and i are still working on stuff but i want to take you up on that offer to explore you know doing a praise song um whether that just be like a cover and i think that for me right now that's something that i desperately need um Mm -hmm. whether i record it or not you know just to like do more of that devotional and that that qt for me right just to do um but yeah those two songs come away with me was just more like a fun song honestly like i was like i'm bored i wanted like i like this beat and i'll do it and like, and you got Tyler back. On I, we track. got Tyler back, so I was like, "Dude, why not?" And like, the you know, my friend Peter, who also serves on the praise with me, he was like, "I'll do it too." And I was like, "Shoot, okay, like, yeah. awesome." So it was like a fun thing, you know. the The second song that you were talking about, what you meant, was like more like birthed out of like a personal experience, just like breakup in general. And it was just like, mm, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't, you know, finally like I'm like writing about it and coming to terms with it. And I realized that, you know, you've been encouraging me to kind of like write out my life story too. But, you know, what you meant is kind of like writing out like what happened in the breakup. That was Mm -hmm. like very, it helped a lot. It helped like internal healing kind of. Right. And so, yeah, I might take you up on that too. And that's really cool to kind of see, like, I think a lot of artists do that to like heal themselves and to get their life out on paper. um, And it helps heal them and soothe them. Um, in ways that I think that that are pretty rare uh, ways for that to happen Mm. in comparison to like just like staying with that type of emotion and that feeling uh, with yourself that even like journaling can't really even do. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there that's that's pretty much all I really want to talk about. Um, I'm sure. So I'll probably link all the stuff. Uh, like all Dave's like social stuff. Like, where can we find you on like Spotify oh, and all wow. that? Uh, yeah. yeah, dude, that sounds awesome, man. Um, and even if that, if even if you don't do that, it's it's fine. You know, I had a great time just talking, dude. Yeah, it's a good time to catch up. Um, so Dave, you could find him on Spotify. D V Y N. Um, Ooh. I wonder wh- how he got that. Um, so yeah, you could find him on Spotify, D V Y N. You could listen and stream all the, you know, come away with me, uh, what you meant on that. Um, I'll have, I'll probably have both of those songs, like one in the beginning and one at the end to lead us out, um, of the podcast. So, okay. Yeah. So it would be kind of cool and an honor to have that on my podcast. So Dave, thanks again for coming on, joining me, um, and being so open, vulnerable, um, and intimate with like with your life story and your relationship with music and i hope hopefully this is something new and different that a lot of the podcast listeners um who are so used to listening about sports 
can uh, kind of take away from. And I'm sure I'll have Dave on. Uh, maybe we'll do like a top 10 because I don't think we're ever getting outside at this no, point, especially never. with a lot, yeah. a lot of this stuff that's happening. Yeah. Um, so I think um, maybe I'll bring you on for a second podcast where we talk more about like the culture and music in general and how those things are interwoven. And uh, yeah, like talk about like some new albums or songs that come for out sure in, we can uh, we can even like talk about like uh, music's influence on sports because you know like nowadays right. like NBA like the music scene and like the people that are influential in the NBA happen to be music superstars. You know, like Drake, Migos, they're all over the NBA and it's shaping the NBA right. in a different way, in my opinion. Yeah. So look out for that part, too. Um, so that'll be really fun to potentially look down the pipeline and, and record. So, Dave, thanks again for joining me. And listeners, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe and like the podcast and go follow this man on Twitter, YouTube, subscribe to all this stuff spotify find him so thanks again dave thank you come away with me because i know a place to see the stars at night from the road we'll go find a way to chase the morning would that be something oh 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 i don't really dance girl but if you want to dance girl just give me two drinks and i'll be busting out the best moves you're ever gonna see girl